Hello and welcome to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Now, if you haven't heard of Meg Walitzer, I want to ask where you have been. And I'd also give you a warning because you are about to be enchanted. Nora Ephron's first debut as a screenwriter was an adaptation from Meg Willitz's book, This Is Your Life. She has gone on to write some of the readers of the 80s, 90s and noughties most dearly loved books. The 10-year nap, the uncoupling, the interestings, the wife, which has just been turned into a film starring Glenn Close. I mean, if that wasn't enough, her new novel, The Female Persuasion, is dearly beloved by Nicole Kidman herself and she will be starring in the film's adaptation. So it's safe to say, I think, that we are sitting at the genesis of a classic. It follows Greer, who uh, Meg describes as selectively shy, uh, who has a lot of thoughts but doesn't have any idea of how to articulate them in public, as she meets the woman who will shape her life, Faith Frank, who is a dazzlingly persuasive and glamorous uh, pillar of the women's movement now in her 70s and giving a speech at her university. I was bowled over to get a little bit of time with Meg to ask some of my most dearly held questions about this brilliant new book. So I hope you enjoy our discussion. The first question that I wanted to ask you that I kind of mentioned before is I find it really interesting how much people are talking about the Me Too movement in relation to this book and obviously it opens with um, the main character Greer experiencing a kind of very what we now call a Me Too experience which again is a kind of strange um, phrasing like how do you feel about people thinking about the book in that way do you find it strange that people find it so of the moment even though this this kind of oppression has been going on for a long time or do you think that it's really hit a chord and that's you know well, I did start writing the book years ago, and it took me three years to write. So it was long before this moment that we're experiencing mm. right now. Although an interviewer sort of said, did you start writing it after the Me Too movement became big? It's like, yeah, <laughs> we would have all had to, we, I would have had to have gone into a room with a lot of people and everybody would have sort of written You'd a chapter really, really called fast. called a collective of writers. But because the truth is that these are, as you suggest, ideas that have been around for a long time. Ideas about female power, about misogyny, um, uh, and... I was exploring those issues and also other issues around female mentorship and making meaning in the world mm. and the person you might meet who changes your life forever, uh, who sees something in you. I've been interested in them and I think that they are ancient issues that we've been sort of looking at for a really long time. As for the book coming out right now, I think, you know, of course I like talking about it as a novel, which it is, mm. but I think you know, we don't write books in isolation. So books uh, exist in the culture and in the cultural moment. So, of course, it's interesting to think about this time in which we live. Mm. I think as well it's interesting that there's, there's the dynamic that we, we don't often see in books of the kind of young feminist and the, the like older feminist and the negations between those two right. and how... Yeah. And it, it made me laugh at myself sometimes because there is a kind of reinventing the wheel aspect to some of the younger characters who explain feminism. Yes, exactly. But I think that's the thing about being young is that mm. you do think... You do feel like you're experiencing things for the first time sometimes. Mm. Um, but my last novel, The Interestings, uh, everyone in it was the same age, basically, my age, which made life really easy because I'm very bad in math and I never like to say, how old would they be in this year? I didn't have to do any of that. But this book, um, dealing with two characters from different generations, was very, very interesting to me to sort of look at 
how it feels to sort of uh, experience the world where you've grown up in one time versus growing up in another time, mm-hmm. and the tensions that might arise there, and the commonality. Yeah. The kind of intergenerational aspect to it, what what can we learn? I think there's sometimes a, an absence of um, conversations about um, second and third wave feminism in, in the kind of modern... Do you, do you think that... Um, was there anything that inspired Faith and her character and, and, and what can we learn from like, kind of talking to you know, older feminists and really looking back rather than always... Well, there are real legitimate criticisms of uh, different generations of feminism, without yeah. a doubt. They're real and uh, need to be looked at and need to be addressed and, you know, faced. But I think that sometimes the media does elevate it, um, likes the idea of a cat fight in a way. I think the truth about feminism is that all feminists want equality, and that is something that, uh, you know, continues. Mm. Yeah. Um, the title was really interesting to me because at first it kind of it made me um, think about persuasion as in the famous Jane Austen novel I don't know if that was part of it Um, but then also the the phrase the female persuasion as in like implying that a woman has a certain way of being what was the thinking behind the title when I come up with the title early on in a book I'm always very happy because I think it means that I know what I'm writing about like I, I I'm not just sort of casting about in the dark sort of looking for what I'm writing about I have almost like a mantra mm-hmm. that I can refer to again and again if I get a little bit lost and you invariably get somewhat lost when you're writing a novel mm-hmm. yeah as you say um you know, it has a well, it has kind of a double meaning because the the phrase, the female persuasion, that sort of coy term for women, there's that, and then there is the pun about how we persuade one another. Mm-hmm. And yes, it has, you know, the title persuasion within it, uh, a great woman novelist. And then one thing I was thinking about this title, I was like, wait, why hasn't it been used? It was just lying there. I had to use it. Um, <laughs> It's, in fact, in the book, the title of a book that Faith Frank, my famous feminist, uh, to be a little alliterative, has written. So there's the idea of the book within the book, too. Um, It just struck me as a big declarative title, and I really was excited to use it. I love it. I I also thought um, the Outdoor Voices title. Oh, yeah, the Outside Voices. Yeah, the Outside Voices. I was like, does this not exist already? Yeah, do you have that phrase? Uh, Inside Voices, Outside Voices. Yeah, Inside Voices. Yeah, I don't know. I know. Again, I had to use it. Um, Who was the hardest character to conjure for you? Because especially, say... um, Corey and and Greer, they're, you know, they're they're very individualistic kind of characters. Like who? I really like I like writing Corey a lot, uh, mm. the boyfriend in the book, because he's so um, he he loves Greer, the protagonist, so much, and we get to see sort of things that she doesn't get to know about uh, about some of his behavior and things he's thinking, and um, he's the. You know, he's a young man in the book, and I found myself very uh, just touched by his story. He has a story of family tragedy that sort of came about as I was writing it. I realized that was what was going to happen. I liked writing him a lot. Um, I think Faith's story was complicated for me because she is idealized by Greer throughout the book. So she's put on a pedestal the way sometimes we can put our mentors on a pedestal. Mm. But I had to show her through that lens of idealization, but also when we have her chapter, 
show what it was like for her growing up in a very different time. So there was a sense of history that I wanted to get right very much too uh, for her coming up coming of age as a second wave feminist because mm. it's something again that made me think a lot about um the context of being radical so for so yeah. for faith in her youth she was quite radical and then to some younger feminist she didn't seem didn't that seem way. that way at all i know it really depends on where you're standing and what how how things look and i for me as a novelist one of the things that i do again and again is just sort of track people over time track mm. time i think that's what a novel can do mm. so things look really different and, and they can look very quaint Mm. Uh, if you wait enough time, you know, it's like, mm. oh, we thought that was radical or, oh, we thought that was um, no one had ever done that before. But, you know, I think that faith is someone who really has wanted to make meaning and she believes in uh, equal rights for women and, and she's mm. really, really tried to do things. And we get into issues of compromise with her later in the book. And that's something that uh, was difficult and interesting to write about. Mm. Do you ever feel like uh, your kind of role as a, a an almost public figure here as well is, is? Do you ever feel a little bit like faith in the way that it's kind of like you're called upon to live up to these fictional expectations that people have of you as a feminist? And... It is a weird thing that you have a kind of personal life and a public life sometimes, mm. and it's not that your public life is fake, but it may be different. I mean. Well, some people's, I suppose, is fake. I mean, I don't think mine is. I, I don't want to say things I don't believe. But, uh, you know, you'll say things in private that you don't want to share with, you know, interviewers or, or readers necessarily. But I think, actually, the, the thing is, with fiction writers, books that we write are so deeply personal because, not necessarily autobiographical, I don't mean that, mm. They come from some place. They, they come from the things you're really obsessing about. I mean, people say to writers, write what you know. I've always thought that it was really write what obsesses you. So if you read my fiction, you'll know what obsesses me. And that's a sort of personal thing, in mm. a sense. You have to write. There, there was that line, I don't know who said it, um, write as if everyone you knew were dead, uh, by which I take to mean don't hold back for some sense of propriety mm -hmm. uh, for yourself or uh, how people will see you living your life like a biography. I mean, I think that ex the exploration of what really compels, disturbs, unnerves, fascinates, gives pleasure to you, um, all of that material is, for me, the material that's ripe for writing novels. Mm. I loved, in the book as well, this kind of... Um, because I, I I feel like you you might think so well, but literature's there not to give an answer but ask a question, and I think the the kind of conversations around authenticity versus um, compromise were really interesting. If there was one thing that you'd want people to take away from the book, what would it be? Or is there is should people take nothing? Oh. You know, that's such because I think as well. Like I love this line that I wrote it down. It says um. Uh, Z says to to the main character, well, one of the main characters, Greer, there are two kinds of feminists, the famous ones and everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> And I, I felt I, like that was your authorial voice coming through of it being I like, think, oi. I think you're right. You, you, mm. You're on to me. You're on to me. Because I think the truth is that one of the things that I really think, having written it, that the book is about really is about making meaning in the world and mm. how we do that. And in fact, there's, you know, a lot of talk around these ideas around feminism and faith as an inspiring person who is most comfortable really inspiring people, Greer trying to find her voice, her outside voice. But then finally, two of the characters in the book, Z and Corey, end up making meaning 
in ways that they never really expected to. They're kind of one by one. And that, I think, is the way that a lot of people are, quote, political. It's how you act. It's, it's the morality of the day-to-day life as much as it is large, grand gestures, which some people get to make, but not everyone gets to make. Mm. Uh, if you look back at a mentor who sees someone, a young woman, who maybe doesn't feel confident or hasn't been given advantages, and this person maybe taps this young woman and possibly changes her life, uh, that can be a political act, doing that. Who knows what it'll lead to? I think the thing about a good mentor is that, um, just to go off on a tangent really, is that she really can never have real expectations for what happens to the mentee, the protege. She has to just sort of get out of the way once Mm. she's given her what she's going to give her. Because you cite um, Nora Ephron as one of your mentors. and Do you think... um, that you've kind of taken on that role for people as well is kind of a passing forward of of I don't, yeah, I mean, we never said, oh, said Mm. that, and I don't know if she would have even agreed that Mm. it was so because it wasn't a formalized thing. She was an older person and I was the younger person and she taught me a lot and she took a great interest in my work Mm. and that, to me, satisfies those criteria. And yes, that has definitely happened with me and students and younger writers Mm. and I think the main thing that is sort of required for that to really work well is that the two people really have to like each other they have to like being around each other they have Mm. to have some real connection to each other Mm. and uh, I've definitely I'm very aware of it I've definitely had it I continue to have it and it's exciting to tell people what you know when they really are looking for something. You know, they don't have to use it. It's kind of like a Christmas gift. You know, if I give you that sweater, I don't have the right to say I never see you wear it. I mean, I have the right, but I hope that I wouldn't do that. Mm. That the things that that you might tell someone younger, and they don't even have to be someone younger. I mean, Mm. that idea of mentorship is maybe somewhat dated as just sort of looking at only that way. I think that we can give that kind of advice and help, encouragement, mentorship to people young, the same age, mm. older. It doesn't matter. It depends on our expertise. Yeah. If there's one person that you could pick going forward in your writing career to mentor you, living or dead, <laughs> who who would it be? Who's the kind of person that you'd be like, I want to run this manuscript by you. I want to, you know. Well, I actually would love to run another manuscript by Nora Ephron, I have mm-hmm. to say. Yeah. I wish I could. Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. Isn't Meg astonishing? As I said, we're kind of on the brink of a new classic here, so really do pick up The Female Persuasion uh, by Meg Willitzer. Don't forget to subscribe to hear more podcasts like this. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at Vintage Books. And until next time.